0: One constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. It
1: reminds us of all that once was good. And the only church that truly feeds the
2: soul day in, day out, is the Church of Baseball. No, no. White Sox Weekly. Presented by Miller Light. The official weekly talk show covering all things White Sox baseball. The latest news and views from players, coaches, and direct from the front office. White Sox Weekly. On the proud new home for Chicago White Sox baseball. WLS. EMB. Welcome
3: into White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight, and we've got you for the rest of the afternoon, or at least leading up to the White Sox pregame show. That'll start in about two hours, 5:35. White Sox and Royals yet again this afternoon here at US Cellular Field. Good start to the series. White Sox took the game seven to two last night against the Royals. Put up a couple of runs all across the uh, all across the game. Two in the third. Two in the fifth. Two in the eighth, en route to a win. Carlos Verdon has been pitching real well of late. He got the win last night, one game shy of 500, record wise, in the ERA, down to 3.8 on the season. We'll get into all kinds of things throughout the course of this afternoon, and you're able to uh, program the show a little bit if you like. 312 591 8900. It's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. You are, as always, Welcome to chime in and talk about what you'd like to talk about concerning your Chicago White Sox. Uh, been a nice little run of late, winning three games. Sox have uh, have pitched fairly well. They've produced a little bit of offense, and Jose Abreu has been absolutely fantastic throughout the last six weeks. He's been fun to watch, and for a lot of different reasons, great to see him getting back to, uh, to the guy he was over the first two years in the major leagues. Uh, we'll also um, let you know what we got going on here on the show this afternoon. Oh, we gave you the phone number 312 591 8900. 312 591 8900 is the phone number here on the show. You can also hit us up on Twitter. That's at C1 McKnight. At C1 McKnight is the Twitter handle. As always, you tweeted us, and we'll get it here on the show. Uh, White Sox have a couple of cool things going on at the ballpark here in the next week or so. Bark at the Park is coming up, so we'll talk to Sheena Quinn. She's in charge of all sorts of promotions and marketing and stuff here at here for the White Sox. And uh, Bark at the Park is going to be pretty awesome. And I think uh, I think that world record is well within sight for the White Sox. So hopefully that all the thing gets wrapped up, and we can tell you about how to get out to the ballpark for that event. And, uh, and get involved in it. You can be part of uh, world history, world history, as they go for a record there. Uh, we'll also talk to David Hunt. Who's David? He runs uh, Hunt Auctions, and the White Sox and he and his organization and the Mini Minoso, the, the family of Mini Minoso, has gotten involved in what's going to be a very, very cool event on the 17th of September. A bunch of things from Mini's personal collection are going to be available for auction here at the park and you could come out and see the stuff uh next week during the indians series this this coming week i should say uh during the indians series you can come out and see it you can come out and check out what's uh, what's going on what's going to be here for you the invitation is open and the auction is the 17th of september we'll get you all the details on that coming up a little bit later on White Sox Weekly too, but it is going to be some p- pretty cool stuff out here. Some gold gloves, an AL cha- championship ring. Should be really cool uh, to see that part of those pieces, rather, of, of history, of White Sox history, of baseball history, many obviously a, a gigantic part of, of baseball's fabric, of, of the White Sox past and, and present, and having played uh, so often or through so many decades of baseball, really cool stuff to be out here and, and be able to see it. I'm looking forward to myself. To, uh, to skipping out of the booth this coming week and taking a look at some of the items. And we'll talk to David Hunt about what's going on there. Scott Greger of the Daily Herald, one of the intrepid scribes who covers this ball club day in, day out, is going to join us right about the 5 o'clock mark. We'll talk to Greger and see, what's, uh, see what his take on the White Sox has been of late. And let's see, what else do we have for you? That's Oh, and as always, we'll play you the, uh, the week in review, all the highlights from the week that was. In your uh, for your Chicago White Sox. So that's everything that's going on. Do want to tell you that the White Sox back to class pass is available right now. And for just twenty five dollars, fans can attend all seven games during the final regular season homestand. That's pretty cool. Twenty five bucks. You get to go to all seven games in the regular season, uh, final regular season homestand. So that's pretty cool. Visit White dot com slash pass. For more information or to order yours today, that last homestand is four with the Rays and then three with the Minnesota Twins starting on September 26th. White Sox are uh, one homestand, one road trip, one homestand left, and uh, and a lot of baseball to play against the AL Central, too. Two, Two more games left with the Kansas City Royals, four left with the Indians here at home. Then they head back out on the road this coming Friday, uh, the 16th 17th and 18th are in Kansas City uh, and the 19th as well it's, it's listed as an off day on the uh, on the original schedule uh, but it is a makeup of a rainout and then two in Philly three against the Indians on the road and then they're back home for that final home stand to which you can purchase tickets to all seven games like I said for 25 bucks WhiteSox.com slash pass for more information so wanted to get started with a white sox starter that's been on a pretty good run of late. Carlos Rodon has rattled off seven straight quality starts and has done it in a couple of different ways, I thought. He has, I don't want to say struggled, but has had to battle in some of those starts, and I think the differences are are pretty clear. I mean, they get paid to hit the ball against Carlos just the same as he gets paid to strike everybody out that he can. So uh, to battle a little bit and, and to win some of these battles, to lose one and then come back and win the war, so to speak, it's been pretty impressive to watch Carlos over the last seven starts. And I think it's maybe even more so because, you know, as the, the Sox are where they are, uh, nine games, I'm sorry, 14 games back in the division and nine games back in the AL wildcard, you start to look at some of the pieces and, and how they're growing, some of those pieces that are absolutely most definitely here for the foreseeable future and how those things are, are growing, are succeeding and moving up maybe in tiers here at the major league level. Carlos is absolutely one of those guys who who fits that description, uh, whether it's because of the stuff that he's got on on a start-to-start basis, whether it's because of his uh, that kind of competitive fire that he's got. I mean, you saw him, and if you missed the game last night, he struck out pa- Paolo Orlando for his ninth strikeout of the night last night. That's a season-high nine strikeouts for Carlos. And he was absolutely jacked up after getting that strikeout. And he should have been. Bases were loaded huge point in that ball game White Sox were leading five to two at the time so the Royals had a chance to you know go ahead with a Grand slam tie it with a double uh, big point in that ball game and he is up to uh, 115 pitches before striking out Orlando for the 116th pitch of the night so you know a, a big moment for him and nice to see the big guy get fired up nice to see him succeed in a battle where Robin was and he talked a little bit about this after the game you know you you want to give him that extra challenge. You want to make sure that he's able to to face that kind of, I mean, adversity is such an overused term nowadays, but you want to be able to make sure that he can face that kind of a challenge and rise to it or fail at it and learn from it. That's kind of where this, uh, that's kind of where Carlos, that's kind of where this this, uh, this last month of the season affords you opportunities is allowing those guys to see those challenges, rise to them, or if they do fail from them, fail in them rather, make sure you learn from it. Um, now, of course, you don't want to do that with, if the pitch count, let's say if Rodan's up to 120 or something like that, his, his career high number of pitches, 122. And you want to make sure that he's feeling good and out there with everything he needs to be successful in that situation, in that, in that at bat. And I think the White Sox were pretty in the clear uh, as far as that at bat was concerned. I don't think, you know, let's say he walks him or, or something would happen, Orlando gets on. I, I think You know, Carlos is obviously done for the night and and lesson learned, hopefully. Uh, But he gets the strikeout, goes back into the dugout with this huge pile of success, you know, that he gets to drag off the field with him and hold on to that for another four days before he makes his next start. So it's been fun to watch him. And I think, you know, for for other reasons, too, not just because uh, the pitching has been of a quality nature the last couple of times out, though that has been fun. Uh, but because of the way the first half of the season went for Carlos, you know, ups and downs of, of pretty big swings with pretty big swings in them. Um, you had, you know, a start where he's struggling to even get one out against the Angels in that first inning. And, and boy, you looked at that one and thought, wow, where did the Carlos that started against the, uh, I mean, his first start of the year was, I mean, for a long stretch, maybe his best. He went, uh, he went seven, he struck out six got himself a, a loss against the Oakland A's, but that was a two to one ball game in which he pitched well enough to get a win. So, you know, with those ups and downs with a stint on the disabled list, you know, a lot of guys could have, could have kind of folded like a, like a cheap card table, but instead Rodon has, has really sturdied up his second half of the season. And then a lot like last year too, for, I think it was the last eight starts of the year. I'll double check this, but the last eight starts of the year, he got paired up with Tyler Flowers and things seem to, for Carlos, bloom a little bit. That's a bad pun. I guess they all are. But things seem to bloom a little bit with flowers behind the plate. And now, I, you know, I don't have a pun for Omar Narvaez, only because I uh, don't have one for you. But I guess Omar has, has really kind of had the same settling presence for Carlos, calling more change-ups, you know, being a little bit steadier back there behind the plate and being able to uh, force Carlos to trust that fastball. And know that he can get outs with it. Know that he can get um, some swings and misses on it, too. So many guys look at that fastball as the pitch that, and I'm not saying Carlos did or, or didn't think this coming in, but so many guys look at that fastball as a pitch that just sets up everything else in my repertoire. That just is the thing that keeps guys honest. Uh, and from there, I get you know outs, I get strikeouts, I get ground balls with other stuff that I'm throwing. For Carlos, that would be obviously the slider that he has. It's, it's absolutely filthy. Or the changeup. Rodon, I think, at times, and, and especially when he's able to locate it, he's able to get swings and misses with that. He's able to get punch-outs and bad contact on that fastball because it does have some some okay run and some pretty good velocity. Threw 99 last night on his second-to-last pitch trying to get Orlando and then a 93-mile-an-hour slider to finish him off. So, uh, you know, the guy was able to dig deep. And get it done. We come back on the other side of a quick break here on White Sox Weekly. We'll actually hear from Carlos. Thought some of the things that he said after last night's start, his seventh straight con- uh, quality start, were actually pretty interesting. So we'll bring that to you on the other side of a quick break. Remember, three one two five nine one eighty nine hundred is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. You want to chime in with anything uh, concerning this uh, this White Sox club here? As we've got less than a, less than a month to go, I guess twenty. 21 games, 22 games left to play. Uh, it's uh, it's it's your show. You know, it's your show. I'm just here with the microphone and the button. I guess I'm Connor McKnight. You've got White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM eight ninety. I'm Connor McKnight. We've got the White Sox and Royals this evening here at US Cellular Field, though this afternoon belongs to you and me here on White Sox Weekly. 312 591 8900 is the phone number. If you're uh, if you're if you just let's say, for instance, that your college football team of choice is playing uh, you know, the Sisters of the Poor or something like that. Maybe they've run up a 14-point lead in the first nine seconds of the game. It's time to talk a little baseball. It's still that Saturday, and uh, we get to talk a little baseball here on the show. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. You can hit us on Twitter, too. At C1McKnight is the Twitter handle. That's at C1McKnight. We were talking quite a bit about Carlos Rodon, because I found his last seven performances to be really interesting and fun to watch from a development standpoint, and from a, well, I guess from an entertainment standpoint too. He's been fun for a couple of different reasons. I thought the maybe of all the starts that he's had lately, of those you know last seven that we've been talking about a bit, I, I think perhaps my favorite has been. It's it's one that it's one that you might not pick out yourself. It's the one where he went against the Twins three starts ago now. He went seven. He gave up three earned, four in total, one coming around in an unearned error. He gave up a, or an unearned run, I should say. He gave up a three run shot to Brian Dozier. Now, Brian Dozier has gone on to hit another 49 home runs in the last two weeks, seemingly. I mean, the guy has been absolutely fantastic. He hit a bunch of home runs against the White Sox in that series. All of them, it looked like, off high fastballs. And that's exactly what Rodon threw him. A high fastball, up and away, up and out a little bit. Not out of the zone, but up and out a little. He got his hands extended, arms extended, 95 miles an hour, and he absolutely drove this thing out of there. Just a mammoth shot. Well, what O'Don did is is settle back in and pitched some quality innings afterward. And and I think you're going to have outings like that where um, guys are going to get you. There are power hitters in this league that will absolutely punish your tiniest of mistakes, and you got to be able to pitch and know that and you got to be able to pitch after you've made that mistake after those guys have have taken you out because it's it's going to happen you're not going to be able to stop that you're not you're not everybody is uh, is Clayton Kershaw and Chris Sale and even those guys get taken out of the yard every now and again Kershaw by the way coming back for the Dodgers just the other night threw a couple of innings against the uh, the Miami Marlins um, it should be an interesting – there are a lot of good wild-card races. There are a lot of good – not that the Dodgers are specifically in a wild-card race, but the Marlins sure are. And these Royals are, too, the, the team the White Sox been battling. Despite the loss last night for the Royals' side of things, uh, they were able to keep a four-game distance between themselves and a wild-card spot. So uh, that, that did not move at all for them. They entered today four games out. Well, the White Sox are eight. Crazier things have happened. I mean – we remember that, that Rockies run back in, 2000. what was that, 2007 was the, yeah, 2007 is when they made their run and won something like 22 of 23 or 21 of 22 of their last games to get into the playoffs and then just absolutely cruised through until they met the Red Sox and were uh, swept in the World Series. But, you know, we've seen crazier things. It's entirely possible that the White Sox could make some noise here And with the way Carlos has been pitching, with the way Chris Sale has been pitching with the way Jose Quintana has been pitching. I I wouldn't be surprised at all if they're one of the more entertaining uh, ball clubs that are, uh, you know, like a dark horse kind of thing. It could be a little entertaining. The odds of of making it, sure, they're they're high, they're tough, and this ball club knows it. Um, But I've been impressed with, and in talking with a couple of players this afternoon, uh, just kind of, you know, confidentially and just kind of, you know, figuring out uh, where guys' heads are at and whatnot, this – it's a team that wants to go play baseball. It's a team that wants to go win some ballgames. And I think you heard Robin Ventura say it, or at least you, if you heard the pregame show yesterday, or if you caught uh, caught some of Robin's comments from the different places that you can find him, he was asked, you know, if the role of spoiler does anything extra for you at this time of year, does anything extra for him at this time of year. And I, I won't say that Robin scoffed at it necessarily, but, you know, just kind of Maybe he did. You know what? Maybe he did scoff at it a little bit. No, I'm here to win ball games. Is what he said. I'm here to we're, We want to win these ball games because so we're playing these ball games. We're out here to win a game, uh, and I and I appreciate that. I appreciate the professional approach that that entails, that it kind of encompasses, and I and I appreciate watching in the last handful of days. It's been some good baseball. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly, and I should tell you that, Sox fans, you can celebrate your culture with Hispanic Heritage Night on September thirtieth. That's presented by Miller Lite. There will be Latin music and dancing, special activities for kids, an on-field parade, and a post-game fireworks show. It's not just a good time, it's Miller time. Miller Lite, the official beer of your Chicago White Sox. Tickets uh, for Hispanic Heritage Night. Again, that's on the 30th of September. Tickets start as low as $10 to purchase. Visit whitesockscom slash NHH. It's a little tricky. whitesockscom slash NHH. H is the website that you can head to or the uh, URL you can punch in to go grab yourself some tickets for Hispanic Heritage Night. So uh, in all this talking about Carlos Rodon, I almost forgot we've got a little uh, sound from Carlos after last night's ballgame. He recorded a season-high nine strikeouts. His career high is 11. He got that against the Angels last year. I was looking through that box score because not immediately that game didn't jump out in my mind when I was looking through, okay, what are his career highs Uh, He struck out every single Angel in that lineup at least once. He punched out Trout and Pujols twice, did so on 107 pitches, and went seven innings. Maybe, uh, checking the game scores, that was the highest game score that Carlos Rodon has recorded in his two-year, well, you know, uh, two seasons as a big leaguer, the Bill James game score. Uh, You start with 50 points, and you add points and subtract points based on things allowed and things accomplished. Last night's game score against the Royals, just uh, to compare things against it, I'm not saying that this is exactly an end-all, be-all appraisal of a guy's start, but it's a good place to start uh, and and talk about the differences between them. Uh, Last night's game score, a 61. Looking briefly through this year's starts for Carlos, his six and two-thirds with four strikeouts, three hits, one walk to the Phillies back on the 23rd of August is his highest game score this year. That clocked in at 71. Uh, Anyway, Carlos, who pitched a good one last night, talked a little with reporters afterward, uh, and things kind of started, the discussion kind of started about his nine strikeouts. Here's Carlos.
4: Omar called a great game, just sticking with that slider, and, you know, those guys are good hitters, they're aggressive, so trying to use that against them, and, you know, they pulled out some hits, but, you know, slider worked out today.
5: What got you through that spot in the sixth inning, and Orlando fouled off, I think, four in a row. Um,
4: just it was a slider down and in, and you know Omar once again made the call as soon as he came out. Uh, knew what we wanted to go with and just trust it. it worked out.
2: When you've got a when you've got a pitch that's working that well all night, I mean, what's that like just in your mind?
4: Uh, it's nice. I mean, you can go at it, you know, mostly the whole night, and um, just you know thankful to have Omar back there. You know, calling a great game.
5: I've been talked about having confidence in you, keeping you in that situation. With how gratifying is it to?
4: Yeah, it's huge. Uh, it's just you know helps me build my confidence as well. And I'm glad he trusted me to, to get that last guy out. And, you know I always, no matter how many pitches there are, I always want to be that get that last out for, for the team. This role that you've been on lately. I mean, what is this just part of your learning process in the major league? You, you know,
1: you kind of built up to, to where you are now, or is anything different?
4: Um. Just a lot more consistent. Um, Luckily to have Coop and a Thiggy down the pen to help me out, you know, when we throw sides on, a, you know, day three or whenever we do, you know, and just working, working every day. And, you know, thankful for those guys as well. You know, they've made me better. and It's a great organization to be a part of.
2: Such a quiet guy with us, but we see you on the field, emotional. Have you always been that way? In, in
4: yeah, you know, it's it's, it's different in, in between the lines. uh you know, that's when you you got to show up and, and be the be the mad dog and just go after guys and you know that's what I expect out every one of my teammates. Um, you know, once we step in between those lines, it's everything we got. I don't care who's out there. Can you talk
2: about
4: the uh, maybe the, the the chemistry you you have with Narvaez uh, with Omar back Uh, Omar. That's first threw to Omar. My first year pro ball. Uh, when I got moved up to high A and you know. Got comfortable with him there, um, you know, other than being a great baseball player. I mean, he's a he's a great person, you know, outside the field. And, um, you know, it's, it's a blessing to have him back there.
3: Yeah, Omar Narvaez has been a, a very well-received guy in the White Sox clubhouse. And cool to hear that uh, Rodon has worked with him before when he got moved up in the minors last season. And I think, I'm not sure about this, but you got to be – What was it? You got to be the mad dog. Time to be the mad. That could end up on a on a T-shirt. I think at some point, maybe maybe you got to make Carlos a a be the mad dog T-shirt. Send it to him, Uh, or you could just send it to WLS and then we'll wear it around and Carlos will probably get jealous. And that's how that's how these things happen. I promise. When we come back here on White Sox Weekly, four o'clock, we'll uh, we'll hit the news. Sheena Quinn. Uh, White Sox record marketing and promotions and dog day. I'm just officially making her or giving her that title, too. Bark at the Park coming up in a little bit, and a world record is uh, about to happen, hopefully going to happen here at U.S. Cellular Field. She's got the details and the particulars, a cool, fun thing that you can be a part of here at the ballpark. I believe it's uh, next Tuesday. We'll talk about that coming up next. I'm Connor McKnight. You've got White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLSAM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. We got the Sox and Royals here for Game Two this evening. It's uh, James Shields and Edinson Volquez the starters for the uh, for the Sox and the Royals respectively. White Sox had a real nice one last night, 7-2. The final offense was uh, thorough throughout, and Carlos Rodon was solid in his seventh consecutive start. So hopefully we got a good one for you this evening as well. White Sox Weekly goes until uh, 535, so plenty of time for you to get involved. 312-591-8900. And if you want to join us out here at the ballpark, there's a couple of good days coming up to do so. In fact, when the White Sox face the Rays, the Tampa Bay Rays, on Thursday, September 29th at 710, the first 10,000 fans to enter U.S. Cellular Field will receive a White Sox performance T-shirt. For tickets, you can visit whitesox.com slash Thursdays. That's coming up on the 29th of September but this coming Tuesday and this is where our next guest fits in perfectly this coming Tuesday which and Sheena now I have to I'm useless without a calendar in front of me I can't match a a day with a date uh, the 13th of September. It's Bark at the Park Night here at USA Field, and we're joined by Sheena Quinn, who is the Director of Public Relations for the White Sox, uh, going for a world record here at the park.
6: Yep, it's been tried before, but we're going to try and set the record here uh, Tuesday. It'll take a thousand dogs for the title of most dogs at a sporting event.
3: So, why do we know why it's a thousand? Like, why do we have to start?
6: So, from what we understand working with the Guinness World Record folks, they have a judging committee in order to set a new title. They have to have a thousand dogs compliant. To set the title officially, and that's just the magic number.
3: So so you have the officials out here from Guinness Book. You've got – what are they? I'm, I'm sure there's something like a, some sort of title that yes, these guys bring with them. he
6: is an adjudicator. Of course he is. And he comes with an official jacket. He will be here to make sure everything is in order and that we are doing it all correctly. And then there's a, a whole lot of rules and, and – things and guidelines that we have to follow to make sure that we are setting it correctly.
3: So have you guys had to, like in the PR department, have you guys had to learn the actual rules and processes that Guinness Book goes through?
6: Uh, it's been very much a team effort from the front office staff side. I got to give a big shout out to Beth Grabowski, the marketing department, who poured over the 10 page document that we got and has been working with them all the time to make sure that we're going to do it correctly
3: so we have we have got big expectations for the number of uh of four-legged animals out here at the ballpark right i mean yes. we, we feel good about our ability to set a record here.
6: we feel good we're sold out on dog tickets awesome. There's still i mean definitely come out to the ballpark make sure that you want to be here to see us set the record right because i've
3: been told we're hoping for 13,000 dogs here at the park <laughs> I, I i'm getting told bit wrong but...
6: It, it's thirteen hundred okay. dog tickets. That, that would
3: make more yes,
6: sense. Yes, yes, and I think I, I think I was the one that told you thirteen thousand, but that would be a lot possible. of dogs. <laughs> no, thirteen hundred, a thousand a set, the the Guinness World Record. So, and as part of that, they have to be a uh, thousand dogs that enter the ballpark have to be in the sections that are designated for ten consecutive minutes. So, we'll start that clock at the top of the third, and all the dogs have to be in their seats with their humans.
3: So what? All right. <laughs> couple of questions. Does a dog, a dog doesn't have to be in a literal seat.
6: The dog has to be in their section. Okay. So each dog gets uh, a dog ticket, right? And it's got a section number. And the human, the owners, the, you know, parents, dog parents out there also come along and they have to be in their assigned rows and seats. So they have to be in their top of the third We'll do a group photo. It's gonna be it's gonna be so fun. It is. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. And the adjudicator from a Guinness World Record will be out here to make sure everybody's in their seats for the ten consecutive minutes, and we'll take the photo and set the record. So the a couple hole. of
3: questions about Bark at the Park. Now, obviously, the White Sox have done this for a little while now. Yeah,
6: I think the first time that we did it was in 1996, and I believe we were the first organization to actually really? do Bark at the Park. And we've sold out like ever since. It's just been like a fan favorite.
3: You would think that would be such a, I mean, you, you say it and you say it out loud and then you think about, Oh, that's great. And then you think about some of the logistics and you go, my <laughs> God, how is anyone going to get this done? But really it, it, it goes off without a hitch every season. I mean, every- there's a lot of planning. i mean, a lot of contingencies for the dogs. Cause
6: Guest they service. don't know they're
3: at the ball game.
6: Oh my gosh, our guest services department tickets—they're so great. Our tickets folks have been Mary Weiss has been driving this right like for years, for decades, and they got all the logistics covered. They got comfort stations, fire hydrants for for the pets, lots of poop busters.
3: Sure, you gotta have those. Yeah, you gotta it's, have those. Yeah,
6: because it'll start with a parade on the morning track. You know when the gates open. Right. So there'll be 200 dogs on the field. Parading around, which is great. So, hence the poop busters.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, you got to look out for that kind of thing. Yeah, of course. Dog's going to do what a dog's going to do. Uh, talk with Sheena Quinn here, the Director of Public Relations for the White Sox here on White Sox Weekly. Bark of the Park night comes up on Tuesday, the 13th, 13th of September. So, a couple days from now, it'll be against the Cleveland Indians. Who I'm sure are intimidated by dogs, <laughs> so it's, we've got a real, a tangible on-field advantage coming. Uh, are there White Sox players that are bringing their dogs to the park?
6: You know, a bunch of the guys in the clubhouse have their own their dogs and we've uh we're working with a few of them now to make sure that they're coming like tyler saladino really wants to bring luna his husky so That's right. yeah he's yeah husky. he's got a big husky carlos rodan has got lefty a german shepherd okay that is incredibly intimidating and then of course abreu has limbo the great the great limbo yeah and anuko so um there's a few guys that have dogs and they're, they're just so cute we're hoping um and we're planning to have max who's been a member of the k unit that's been guarding and part of the bomb detection oh, cool. crew here for many seasons where we're, we're, we're going to have him out here on Tuesday as well. He'll be somewhat of a Sox dog ambassador.
3: I know that uh, when the Burleys were here, uh, the huge dog people yeah. and involved with so many different charities mm-hmm. as, uh, with rescue dogs and whatnot. Um, I, I know it was tough to, to make sure that all of their dogs were allowed into the, I mean, there were just so many of them.
6: Yeah. Yeah. No, no. They, they are huge dog supporters. I mean, everybody is. can't oh, yeah. if They're so cute. Who, who doesn't love nobody's, dogs, Nobody's, right? nobody's
3: actively anti-dog.
6: No, not no. usually. No
3: not even a little bit. Well, awesome. I mean, this is this is going to be very cool. Now, again, the the dog tickets are sold out, so we are all planned there. Right. Um, the in theory, if somebody showed up, could you walk up with a dog and perhaps get in or is that not a, a possibility at this point?
6: I wouldn't recommend it because okay. I think we're we're at capacity Fair for enough. the dog tickets and the, uh, we have very we have designated sections in the outfield reserve for them. So, okay. but definitely come down to the ballpark. You you're, you're going to want to see it. I mean, just the dogs alone oh, in the outfield sure. reserve. It's so cool. I mean, you can't. I mean, big dogs, little dogs. It's really, really fun for like baseball fans to be out there with their own personal Fido. It
3: will be a ton of fun to watch, and hopefully, a world record will be set. You can witness history here at the ballpark at U.S. Cellular Field on the 13th of September. Uh, Sheena Quinn, thanks so much for stopping by and hanging out. Thank you. Absolutely. That's Sheena Quinn, the director of public relations here at uh, here for the White Sox at U.S. Cellular Field. Again, Bark at the Park coming up on the 13th of this month that is four days no three days from now it's coming up on Tuesday uh, and again the dog tickets are sold out and I I, I asked that for a pretty sp- I don't I wouldn't I would hate for somebody to show up with the dog hoping to get in and then logistically your day is just just a nightmare trying to get Fido home or whatever uh, but you can show up tickets available to be here as the White Sox try and set a world record for most dogs at a sporting event that is the 13th of September, this coming Tuesday against the Cleveland Indians, and I would get you the probable starters for that game if I just had my papers organized, but I don't. Wait, hold on. Almost have it. Uh, yeah, that's Trevor Bauer and Jose Quintana. So on top of all that, you get a damn good pitching matchup. Jose Quintana and Trevor Bauer are the starters for that ballgame. That should be a good one to watch as well. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. We come back. James Shields spoke with reporters just a couple of days ago about his recent stretch of starts, trying to get some things figured out. Figure it would be worth, to, uh, worth some time to get into uh, James Shields' headspace. That's next on WLS AM 890 and White Sox Weekly. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Conor McKnight. We got you up until the start of the pregame show. That's at 535 this evening. It'll be the White Sox and Royals. Game two of a three-game set, a game the Royals would dearly like to have uh, White Sox took 1-7-2 last night and are able to make this hill a little tougher for the Royals to climb with a uh, with a series win. Certainly, you take three out of uh, three out of the series and and boy, that things start to look a little different for you. Uh, Royals taking BP right now. I believe that is Eric Hosman. No, it's not Hosman. It's a right-hander. Okay, maybe that's Sal Perez in the cage right now. Should be interesting to see whether Sal Perez is in the lineup. And I, I think the Royals. Uh, have yet to release a lineup. Yeah, currently they are without a lineup yet. Sal Perez was hit in the the wrist area by a pitch back on Tuesday. He sat Wednesday's game, the Royals had the off day on Thursday, and he sat out last night against the White Sox. Drew Butera uh, back behind the plate for the Royals yesterday. he He hit one good ball, just foul, a mammoth shot down the left field line. It was it was fouled by a pretty decent piece, but uh, but one you had to look at twice just to make sure. Uh, other than that, he was 0 for 3 with a walk. That walk coming in the sixth inning, I believe it was the yeah it was it was the same at bat in which he yanked one down toward the pole, uh, but ended up going foul. Uh, White Sox were able to wriggle out of well, Rodon was able to work himself out of a bases loaded jam in that inning, and uh, Drew Butera was one of the Royals base runners that uh, were last evening. You can follow White Sox baseball live with the MLB.com at bat app. You stay up to the moment at any moment with game day, live game video highlights, Statcast, news and more download MLB.com at bat, the number one app for live baseball on your phone and or your tablet. Theoretically, you could do both and watch two different games on those different devices if you wanted to. So James Shields has had an interesting season to say the least for the White Sox. There have been, uh, some quality ups. There have been some rough downs. And it, it seems as though things just kind of vacillate back and forth with James. And all the, while there was a, a, a stretch of seven starts, 47 innings, 47 innings of a 2-1 ERA, uh, where, where just so the peripherals weren't exactly fantastic, but certainly it looked as though James was getting back to the things that made him James Shields in years past. Uh, Looking to get back into that groove again as he goes against the Royals this afternoon. This was a, a day or two ago. James talked with a few reporters, including our own Rachel Brady. So we figured we'd bring you this, as James is the scheduled starter this afternoon or this evening, I should say, Against the uh, for the White Sox against the Royals, here he is, James Shields.
0: Uh, I haven't formally talked to Robin at all today yet, but uh, you know, um, we got checked out by the doc yesterday, and it's been feeling pretty good uh, the last day and a half. So um, as of right now, I think I'm on schedule to pitch on Saturday.
2: So. The,
1: the mental toughness that you had, uh, displayed throughout your career does that help you get through this this up and down season? Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think uh, I've been through a lot worse than. than this in my career, so. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's just a little minor setback, but no big deal. I feel pretty good right now, so, um, you know, hopefully today goes well and tomorrow goes well, and we'll move on and pitch Saturday.
2: Was it more of a tightness or soreness?
0: It kind of grabbed it, on? and described it a little bit after you pitched. how did you describe it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was grabbing on me pretty good. you I mean, I don't want to go too in depth with it, but but yeah, it was grabbing on me pretty good to the point where, um, you know, it's hindering my the way I was, my, my pitch motion, so, um, you know, but today feels good, so it feels great, so we'll, we'll, we're going to just keep moving forward, and as of right now, we're going to, we're going to schedule for Saturday. Was it a one-time thing, or did the
3: it, I guess everyone had something. Yeah, I mean, I've been,
0: I've been sore quite a bit all year, you know, for the most part, but that's normal, normal every year stuff, you know, nothing, nothing crazy, um, but, you know, like I said, I'm just moving forward right now, and worrying about what I'm doing right now, and I feel pretty good right now, so.
1: Do you know the fine line between... Uh, what you've always done and what's proper for you? Meaning? Pitching or not pitching?
0: Uh, Well, I mean, knock on wood, all things considered, I haven't missed a start in my career. So... uh. I don't really plan on it either, so it's uh, it's kind of one of those things where I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll be out there on Saturday.
3: So.
5: Normally, are you a guy at this point that would throw a bullpen session
3: um, in between
0: Uh Yeah, I mean, I'll probably throw a bullpen session tomorrow. Oh. Yeah, just to, just to see how it feels. Um, you know, normally in September, it's just kind of, you listen to your body, um, whether or not you throw bullpens or not. Um, you know, but as you know, due to
5: Saturday's game
0: um, we're gonna try to probably test it out tomorrow. I think so.
2: Yeah. I think so, yeah.
0: Uh, not necessarily from my mindset. I think I'm, as far as my mind goes, it's good. It's just a frustrating season. Man. I mean, it's it's been a really frustrating season for me. Um, you know, this this definitely wasn't me this season so far, and, and uh, hopefully we can finish these last couple strong and go into off-season, uh, get a good off-season workout program. It's been a crazy year, man. It's been a crazy year. A lot of... Uh, a lot, a lot of things been going on um you know obviously i got traded uh you know uh you know, things that happened in san diego uh they weren't really under my control um and coming here to a new team and probably probably ran out the gates trying to try do too much uh, and then settling in and not doing so well so um you know i had i had a similar season not as bad of a season but similar season 2010 and uh you know the next year i I uh, did really, really well, so uh, you know that's what uh, my goal is. I feel like
1: you're taking the same stuff.
0: Uh, I feel, I feel like it. You know, I mean, um, you know, some years you you just have you have a really good feel for the baseball, and some years you don't. You know, and uh, unfortunately this year, I, you know, I haven't really felt it as much as I wanted to, so. You know, I'm. I'm a, I've been a Bulldog my whole entire career, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, assess things this off season, and uh, hopefully try to finish strong this season.
1: Yeah, what I mean, has been your true. Chicago experience like? Uh, great, great food. And great food. Great <laughs> food, man. That's, that's it, man. <laughs> good,
0: good food and uh, good people. So organization. Yeah, organization's great. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I love it here. Uh, you know, I think uh, if there's any city that that my wife wanted me to go to, it was Chicago for sure. So, um, but no, nah, I mean I love the city, love the food here, and, and the organization's been great. So, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully the, the fans will stick with me a little bit and uh, believe in me, and, and and we'll try to get better and better next year
3: that's white Sox starter James Shields talking about his uh, his rough stretch of late and trying to get back to it. Good to know that he's he's feeling healthy. He's had a little a uh, little bit of back issue I guess flare up here and there, but feeling healthy and to James credit, uh, he has stood in front of that locker every single time that he's gone out there whether it good or whether it bad and there are guy and, and and even on days where he's not the, where he hasn't pitched, he's there and he's he's available to people and he's Ready to talk about things. I, I give him a lot of credit for that. That is not an easy thing to do, uh, given the guy he's been in this league, given the, the stretches he's been on, the good ones and the bad ones. Uh, and it has been uh, it's been pretty impressive to talk to him, um, given given the struggles, given the ups and given the downs. So hopefully James is able to get onto a little bit of a track here in the last what probably four starts or so, maybe maybe four starts, depending on you know because the White Sox do have the ability to to lengthen that rotation out by one. Uh, should they want to go to Anthony Ronaldo at one point during the, um, during the last couple weeks of the season, you know, with Miguel Gonzalez coming back in, you can go and and give a spot start to somebody. If you so choose Ronaldo would be the most likely choice though. He's back into the bullpen. Now Uh, he's the most recent uh, bullpen arm that has started Uh, with the White Sox, not calling up Carson Fulmer knocks out the possibility of him obviously getting a start, but uh, the option is still there for Ronaldo, so that gives uh, Shields probably this one and maybe two, maybe maybe three more uh, this season, and hopefully we can get on a nice little run here, build a little confidence heading into the offseason, as he talked about, come back for 2017 already and raring to go. Speaking of, we've got the uh, White Sox pregame show coming up in about an hour. Sox and Royals here at U.S. Cellular Field. Royals are down on the field taking a little BP right now. Sox have already done so. Uh, we are, when we come back from the 430 News here, going to talk to David Hunt, Hunt Auctions. White Sox have a cool thing going on here at the ballpark this coming week, the 14th and 15th. You can come out and check out the collection of uh, auctionable stuff. Uh, the auction going on the 17th, and it will comprise or it will be comprised of some things from Mini Minosa's private collection, personal stuff. And, uh, you know, stuff like gold gloves, stuff like an AL championship ring and proceeds for all these auction items. Uh, Will benefit the White Sox charities as well. So it's going to a great cause. And we'll tell you more about it when we talk with David Hunt, who's uh, in charge of and helping run the whole shebang coming up this week at the ballpark. I'm Connor McKnight. You've got White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890, I'm Connor McKnight, and it is our privilege to be joined by David Hunt, who's got a lot going on at the ballpark coming up on the week of September 17th. In fact, on September 17th, the Chicago White Sox icon, Minnie Minoso, will have a couple of things auctioned off at the ballpark. David, let's start here. How did Hunt Auctions get involved with this? What can fans expect on the 17th out at the ballpark? And how did uh, Minnie Minoso's estate get involved in this?
7: Yeah, it's an exciting event. I mean, we've been uh, running auctions concurrently for 25 years now with various players, teams, league entities, um, even Major League Baseball at the All-Star Game. And, you know, when we talked to the Minoso family uh, a bit ago, you know, it was it became evident that this was really targeted to be a celebration of Minnie's life, uh, not just an auction of items, if you will. And what he meant Uh, to that franchise, I mean, arguably one of the most significant players in in franchise history. So when we contacted the White Sox, and and obviously on behalf of the Minoso family, they were just incredibly gracious and almost insistent that we host it there, because there really is no better place to do it. And to be able to tie in White Sox charities to the event, both with a portion of the proceeds from the Minoso items and some White Sox charity items as well, just made it all the more better.
3: So I'm looking through some of the uh, some of the details and some of the items they're going to be able to, uh, to view and to auction on at the ballpark. I-, I think that's maybe the coolest part of this is even if I'm a baseball history aficionado, but, like, gear and memorabilia isn't my thing, seeing it might be. All this stuff is going to be able to be viewed on the 17th. Stuff like the 60 Mini Minoso Gold Glove, the 57 Gold Glove the 59 White Sox AL Championship ring, and the Mini Minoso Mexican Baseball Hall of Fame ring. We can go see all this stuff, even if you know it's not necessarily in our budget or in the uh, in the budget for the man cave, so to speak.
7: Yeah, that's something that we actually were, are really excited about. We've um, done a number of auctions over the years, live auctions, even in stadiums like Fenway Park and Citizens Bank Park as well, um, as this one will be in U.S. Cellular Field. But what we've not done until now, is the is a live auction preview of all the items during the actual games themselves. So on Wednesday and Thursday during the White Sox games, we will be there having all the items for free view. for anybody that just wants to come down and look. So we're encouraging fans. You know, even if you can't bid or don't want to bid on the items, that's was something that the Minoso fam, family and uh, White Sox charities wanted to make this happen to have these things available for the public to enjoy to see. Uh, and, and just take a, take part of the experience. And if you want to bid, all the more or the more better. Uh, but all the items will be out for preview those two days, and then Friday and Saturday as well.
3: So that is the 14th and 15th against the Indians, That's just right. so that fans have their their ticket plans correct. That day, it's a day game by the way. Thursday against the Indians, and if you haven't put the kids in school yet, or maybe you just need to pull them out. He's uh, one of the teachers has been less than fun, uh, you bring them to the ballpark and they can see some cool stuff. Auctions on the seventeenth, then that's uh, the Sox are away; they're in Kansas City, and everything's going to be held here at the ballpark, if I'm not mistaken.
7: That's correct. And again, it's just when we do these types of events, we really look at this as a, as a sort of a multi-pronged, uh, you know, if you will, uh, uh, type of venue. Where yes, there are items being auctioned; uh, collectors will be bidding bidder or you know investors will be betting all types of people will be interested in the items themselves however we almost make it like a museum as well a celebration of these players and what they meant to the teams there's lots of other things in addition to minis pieces you know that have been consigned right by white Sox charities from the current players and then you know jerome holtzman the famous chicago sports writer his collections in there a number of other things from you know jim tomey and And, you know, lots of the great White Sox players in the 60s and 70s, even back to the 20s, back to the, you know, the championship teams of the Joe Jackson era. Um, So there's lots of different things just to see uh, and, and, and handle and be involved with. Even fans can bring down things if they want to take part in the appraisal fair where we have experts there during the game hours and then also during the Friday and Saturday hours as well where they can bring items down and find out what they're worth. Even if you don't want to sell things, we just tell people to educate yourself as to what you have and better preserve it to, to you know, sort of pass along the history you know, down to the road to the next generation.
3: That's that's a pretty cool part. We're talking with David Hunt, who's the president of Hunt Auctions, uh, the outfit that's going to be helping display these awesome mini Minoso memorabilia items and auction them off as well at the ballpark on the 17th of this month. That's uh, the 17th. This is a Saturday. And And, David, I wonder, you know, with the – fan appraisal kind of thing people can bring their own stuff i i always have to ask when we do interviews like this the most obscure thing that you've (laughs) seen brought in and and have somebody want to get evaluated and and you know are we in like this uh you know antique roadshow kind of thing where where you'll have something brought in and some little old lady finds it in the upstairs attic and didn't realize that it was uh josh gibson's home run bat or something like that
7: I'll tell you, it's it, all the years we've done this, we have seen, as you can imagine, <laughs> the entire gamut of items come in. And many times things are not worth what people thought they sure. were. They might have been you know, a group of baseball cards that they thought were old and they're actually reprints, or they could have been an autograph they thought was real and it was signed by the clubhouse secretary in the 1950s. Not maliciously, but just happened. And then on the flip side of that, we have quite literally had some pieces come in, whether it's a Babe Ruth game used bat, Uh, a Paul Wayner uniform, all kinds of great things over the years that ended up being worth, you know, literally in certain cases, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So what we sort of encourage people to do, again, is just bring down the things uh, to educate yourself. It's really not about selling them. If you don't ever want to sell them, that's perfectly fine. You know, we we want to make people enjoy these items, best educate them and almost authenticate, if you will, Uh, not just appraise but authenticate them as well for folks Uh, And, you know, with the experts we'll have in town with our group, you know, that's the sort of thing that if they wanted to do it separately, it would actually cost them a lot of money. So it's just something we like to give back and do whenever we do a national event like this. We've done it for years at Major League Baseball's All-Star Game uh, with the NFL at the Super Bowl. It's always a fun event to see what people bring down and what they might have in their closets.
3: Awesome stuff. Uh, Again, David Hunt of Hunt Auctions. They're going to be out at the ballpark the 14th and 15th this week against the Cleveland Indians And then the 16th and 17th for the appraisal and the ability to take a look at all of these mini Minoso items. And, again, part of the proceeds benefit the Chicago White Sox charities. And I think it's important to note and underscore maybe just one more time, David, your organization's collaboration with uh, Sharon Rice Minoso and the Minoso estate, this was kind of a, a joint collaboration trying to get this stuff out here at the ballpark to be seen and to be auctioned for for Charities benefit.
7: Yeah, right. it, it really. I can't say enough about the White Sox organization. We've been uh, very fortunate to work with a lot of different teams over the years, and and they have been extraordinarily gracious in in make, you know allowing us to host this during a season, turning games, which is not easy by any means, logistically. Yeah. Um, been supportive. You know, they've had some. They included some great White Sox charities items, some great pieces from the current players like Chris Sale and Abreu, and. Um, you know they, they've been fantastic, and, and I think that really is a testament. All these things we're talking about are a testament to what Minnie meant, what his legacy was to that club, all the things that he and and Sharon and his son Charlie did for the team, and, and you know, and, and reciprocally as well. So you know we're, we're thrilled, we're thrilled to be a small part in this and just facilitate it. And we're really looking forward to getting out there and, and sharing these things with people. And, you know, I should also say, there's lots of great items to take home as well. I mean, yes, you can just see them, but you can also bid on them and <laughs> take them home. And, yes, some of these are going to be tens of thousands of dollars, but many, many more of them are going to be two and three and $400. So that's one thing I want to encourage people is not to be sort of intimidated by this sort of auction. There's a lot of fun and interesting, unique White Sox pieces if you're a fan. Uh, or just a fan of baseball in general that, that you can take home and, and remember, you know, Minnie and and the team by. But again, the White Sox and White Sox charities have just been phenomenal, we're very excited to be involved.
3: Sounds like a ton of fun. I'm actually I'm looking forward to getting out there and taking a look at some of this stuff. We will see you at the ballpark on the 14th and 15th next week against Cleveland. Thanks so much.
7: Sounds good. Thank you so much.
3: You got it, David Hunt of Hunt Auctions joining us here. On White Sox Weekly. We'll get some more information about the auction coming up next weekend as the show goes on. You've got WLS AM
1: 890.
3: Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. Sox and Royals coming up here in about, well, it says 610 is the first pitch. So uh, a little while out here at the ballpark. Pre-game show is going to start in less than an hour, 5.35 is when we'll get that rolling. Uh, you'll hear a couple of things from Robin Ventura coming up in just a few minutes here on White Sox Weekly. So some bonus information for uh, for weekly listeners. Uh, but we'll bring some of it back to you during the pregame show as well. The Royals do have a lineup out. Uh, that actually got to me right about while we were talking to David Hunt of Hunt Auctions. That's going to be a fun time out here at the ballpark. If you're, if you're into the whole memorabilia thing and, and seeing – you know that side or, or have that side of baseball fandom, and yeah, I know some people aren't, you know, all that into the stuff, into the memorabilia, but a lot of people are, and a lot of people have, you know, collections of their own. I think everybody as kids did, at least to some degree, uh, if you were a baseball fan, have have kind of a card collection, and whether you were just picking them up and putting them in the spokes of your bike, or whether you were uh, putting them in the cellophane case and making sure that uh, they were stayed in mint condition all the way through uh, before mom threw them out during a move. I'm not saying a am bitter. Uh, I'm just saying it happened, and I like bringing it up whenever I can. Uh, you you have kind of a connection to to a, a certain version or your version of baseball's past, and for those who grew up, and I, I know a lot of White Sox fans did because Minnie Minoso played forever, but a lot of White Sox fans have many tied to their own version of of baseball history, and uh, you get to come out and see some pretty cool things connected to his playing time here with the club. Uh, as we talked to David, uh, in case you missed that first part of the interview, his both gold gloves, or two gold gloves, I should say, are going to be on display. I believe it's the 60 and 57 gold gloves from Mini Minoso are going to be out here and, and up for auction, as well as the 1959 AL Championship ring. And this part this is actually kind of the cooler thing to me. The uh, the Mexican World Series Championship ring that Minnie won as well is going to be out here, and that, I, I haven't seen one before, so I'm, I'm looking forward to looking at it and seeing what it is and what it looks like, but that's going to be out here as well. A lot of the other items that are uh, more in the everyday budget are going to be out here too, and a lot of cool pieces of baseball history. Regardless, that's the 14th and 15th out here at the ballpark when the Sox take on the Indians. The 16th and 17th, while the Sox are away from U.S. Cellular Field, uh, this stuff's going to be out here as well, and you can come take a look at it for free. And the auction is on the 17th. Sox fans, you can head out to the ballpark on Tuesday, September 13th, as the White Sox st- attempt to set the Guinness World Record for dogs attending a sporting event. Bark at the Park is presented by Aviderm Natural Pet Foods, Nylabone, and PetSmart. For more information, visit whitesox.com bark. We talked a lot about Bark at the Park with Sheena Quinn, the Director of Public Relations on the show a little bit earlier during White Sox Weekly, uh, there are scheduled to be 1,300 dogs out here at the ballpark. The rules are very uh, they're very particular about how you go ahead and set a world record. The Sox have uh, dotted all the I's and crossed the T's and even found a lowercase j or two to make sure that they've figured out exactly what needs to be done to set a record. So hopefully we're able to do that at the ballpark. That's Tuesday the 13th. You can come on out and witness part of Guinness Book World Record history. Um, Mention the lineup for the Royals, too, before we get to uh, Robin Ventura in just a second. Mention the lineup for the Royals. It does, uh, I can't remember if I mentioned it earlier, does have Sal Perez. He is back in there. He's been out since Tuesday's ballgame, was plunked in the wrist with a pitch. Um, He's going to bat four for the Royals this afternoon. Lineup for the White Sox is... Checking here is the same as last night, kind of that standard Eaton in center, Melky in left, Avi in right field, more no DHs. Your infield is as it's been over the last handful of weeks with left to right, Frazier, Anderson, Saladino, and Abreu uh, working the infield. So That is your lineup for the White Sox. We'll get to the Royals lineup, I guess, in full in a couple of minutes. But wanted to bring Robin Ventura's comments to the fore at this point in White Sox Weekly. He spent a couple of minutes talking to reporters. We figured we'd bring it to you, our White Sox Weekly listeners. Here he is, Robin Ventura.
1: That's going to be the unfortunate. That's going to be the unfortunate part of the whole thing. Oh, my gosh. That one hurts. He has Nebraska. That one hurts. That one hurts.
3: You know, I wanted to ask you about Tyler. Um, you know, when he was coming up, I mean, uh, I know he probably told you he could play a lot of different positions, but did, did you guys already know that he could play a lot of different positions? Or because he told you that, you know, he wanted to play basically every position in the
1: in, in the field? Saladino? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I uh, I, I, know, I knew his high or his college coach. I actually played with his college coach. So, uh, you know, the first year when he was with us, I ran into him somewhere, and he was telling me he can play anywhere. So then it, it really developed in spring training of us moving him around. When we got, we call guys over in spring training. We need extra guys. And you know the game starts getting a little bit longer, and you can move guys in and, and put them in different positions. I know he was a shortstop, but we put him at second base, or we put him uh, at third. He just handled it. You know, I think that was part of uh, the, the progression of him. It wasn't that he was clamoring to move all over the place. It's just um, we we need some you know versatility, and he became a guy that could do it
6: seen him at shortstop we've seen him at second base third base where do
1: you think he's most comfortable comfortable um i would say you know shortstop's probably his most comfortable uh you know he's played it a a lot longer and i think he's he has more experience at shortstop but uh, he's starting to look pretty comfortable at, at second i mean he's never really looked uncomfortable anywhere but um he's starting to look i think just as much time as you get at a position, you get better at it, and, and he's been getting better at it second. Brett Laurie is he still in Arizona? He's still in Arizona. Same. same. think chance he can come back this year? I, well, it's getting longer. I, mean, you know, I think it's become a, a long shot at this point just because he's been out so long. He hasn't been playing. uh you know, at this point, you would have to find some way to get some reps to, to be able to get back in there and, you know, get the timing of everything again. So it's becoming more of a long shot at this point.
7: When he first left the
1: think it's. Somewhat in his knee, I mean, there was part of it that he was thinking it was his hip, and then it became his knee. So it, 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 it's a little bit of everything on, on that. And I don't think he's quite sure what it is, but he can feel it. And, you know, he's one that's pretty in tune with what's going on uh, with his body. And, um, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that. Do you
5: remember what happened to
1: He had come in at one point and just said he was feeling a click behind his knee. And he. he he just came over and said, I, I, I can't do it because it, he couldn't bend it and then he couldn't straighten it out. And usually that's just, uh, you know, like a meniscus or something getting underneath the, the knee cap or getting in the knee that it, it, it gets caught and he couldn't straighten it or bend it. So um, then he went out and then it became more. They, they tried to make sure it wasn't his hip and you know we're still trying to figure that out. This is this still related to the initial injury when you first left the line? Back to it, was that was hamstring? Yeah, it was uh, right after the break. I, I think that was uh, you know, the first one. We tried to hold him out for about four days, thinking it would go away. He didn't feel it was necessarily that bad either. And... Uh, you know, I think it was a series, we, we came back here and had a couple games with the Cubs, and then we were going over there knowing that we couldn't necessarily go in there and you know, play National League rules without having a uh, guy on the bench, and that really became the reason to put him on the DL. That, that situation is, well, you play it, Sal, you know, old old, right? so, yeah I mean it, you know when somebody doesn't play it opens up for somebody else and, and Sal's really been the beneficiary of that of being able to get some regular time regular time in a position as well and I think he's taking advantage of it If I'm missing at any point during the game, yeah, we will know why. Know we'll why. why. Might, have had a, <laughs> might have been a late response.
3: That's Robin Ventura talking to uh, White Sox reporters here at U.S. Cellular Field just about, uh, about an hour ago. We'll talk to a guy who was there, Scott Greger of the Daily Herald, in just a little bit after the five o'clock news the Brett Lurie stuff is is interesting and I think that'll be a, a point of conversation uh with Scott when we get a chance to talk to him it's it's been a nebulous injury to say the least for Brett and trying to pinpoint it has been tough now obviously you know Robin's not a doctor and I'm not asking him to say anything that's of a defining nature medically that would be that would be dumb. Uh, but but certainly for Brett to have it kind of start the way it did and backslide the way it has too. I mean, he was into a couple of rehab games at AA Birmingham and playing uh, and then had to come out of those. So it's been kind of a weird last couple of months for Brett. And as, as you heard Robin say, you know, it's tough at this point to find a league that will play nine innings. I mean, the White Sox could put together, I'm, I'm sure, an instructs, uh, the at bats, the necessary time for him to play, and perhaps get back, if if that was on the time, it was if that was on the table, if that if the injury allowed, uh, but it doesn't look like that's the case, and it kind of seems as though, like Robin said, a long shot for Brett Lawrie to come back in the 2016 season. Uh, that's Cal coming up in a few minutes here on White Sox Weekly. We will uh, scoot to the five o'clock news. We come back, Scott Greger, the Daily Herald, and we will also uh, bring you the White Sox Week in Review in our last segment as well. That's all leading up to the White Sox pregame show at 535. You've got WLS AM
5: 890.
3: Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. Got a half an hour left on the show before we get to the pregame show. White Sox and Royals coming up this evening at U.S. Cellular Field. It's a nice one. It's got kind of that fall crisp in the air. Well, I don't know. Crisp is probably going a little too far. Uh, But it's kind of that uh, cooler yet still warm sort of Saturday afternoon here. College football is in its second week, which means the schedule is terrible, so there's no better time to come out and watch a baseball game. James Shields and Edinson Volquez, the starters, as the White Sox get the Royals tonight, Uh, looking to get get two in a row, or make it four straight, actually. The winning streak's at three, could make it four tonight, Uh, take two in a row against the Royals. And, uh, two against the Tigers in the last series here. A lot of divisional plays. The White Sox round out the season. And uh, we get a chance to talk with Scott Greger, the Daily Herald, uh, a fine paper. One that, uh, for no reason whatsoever, lets me <laughs> write a couple of words here and there every month. And for that, I am eternally thankful. Uh, but, Scott, good to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it.
5: Good to be here, Connor. How are you doing?
3: Doing well. Um, was reading through your last for the Daily Herald, the DH, as we call it at the house, and uh, Kevin Smith was the subject of your uh, your latest interview. It sounded like uh, I had forgotten that he played quarterback at Pitt. And I think I was just looking it up. I can't. Did Pitt or uh, or Penn State edge out a win this afternoon? Was uh, Was Kevin happy or sad?
5: I think he was happy. Uh, it was like, it was a shootout. Um, you know, those two schools haven't played. And you know, as a Pittsburgh native, I was kind of interested interested in that one myself. Um, but it was, you know, Pitt went way up early and Penn State kind of came back, but I think I'm pretty sure Pitt hung on and uh, won it. So Kevin Smith should be pretty happy with that.
3: Kevin's been an interesting guy, of course. I mean, he was going to be up in April and the uh, the clock was going to run for him, and and it seemed like he would have, well, he likely would have gotten a handful of of playing time opportunity, playing opportunities with uh, with Alex Avila out the first time around and the backs seized up on him. He wasn't able to go
5: uh hour, what was it, an hour, hour and a half before his major Unreal. league debut. And I think, Connor, that was, um, that kind of set off the whole weird White Sox players making their debut injuries, you know, stories this year. Right. Um, you know, you had Matt Davidson, his first game, breaking his foot, you know, and after getting his first major league hit, you had Charlie Tilson, you had Jason Coates, like almost, you know, becoming severely concussed on the con- collision was shook. Um Kevin Smith, boy, what a uh, you know. Not only that was it the back that kind of cost him almost his major league career. Mm-hmm. Um, he got healthy, didn't need surgery. He got healthy, and his first came back with uh, Charlotte, you know, at AAA. His he's telling me like, you know, my knee popped on me just doing nothing, you know. Unbelievable. And he says, I looked at it, looked like a gr- a grapefruit, and I and I got sick to my stomach, and was oh. like. You know, hey, you know, I, that's, if that's the, you know, if you only got sick to your stomach, that's like, you know, not much of a reaction after what you've been through. But just to see him up here, I mean, uh, it's kind of what I wrote in the story. Connor is, uh, you know, especially when a team's not contending again, like the White Sox, it's kind of hard to, you know, would show up to the ballpark every day when you're not, you know, you're not really in it. So it's nice to see guys like Kevin Smith that, um, you know, realize their dream. There's another, you know, some other guys here. Blake Smith's here, believer. You know, you know, and a couple of the, you know, uh, Navarez, the catcher that's yeah. here, you know, so it's just kind of good to see, you know, I don't know how much some of these guys are going to be able to help, but it's just good to see these guys kind of realize their dreams.
3: Talk with Scott Greger the Daily Herald covers the White Sox for that paper. You can find him on Twitter. I believe it's just at Scott Greger, right? I mean, it's the easy one.
5: That is. One T.
3: one T. One T. And I knew there was something, uh, one T in Scott. Uh, so you can hit him on Twitter there. But, uh, you know, with, with finding pieces in September, you know, there are always stories with some call ups. But the White Sox, for where they are, actually have a couple of players, you know, fighting to prove a few things. And Carlos Rodon last night is one of those guys coming after – he wasn't happy with the first stretch of his season. Don Cooper pointed <laughs> out to me yesterday on the pregame show that, you know, things might have gone better for him in that first half than the numbers might necessarily say. But I know Carlos wasn't all that happy with the first half. And the last seven, he's been great.
5: Yeah, the last seven, five and 5-0 oh, and a, a sub-2 uh, ERA. It's like, you know, I think – again like kind of yesterday what i was writing yesterday was like i was writing this about carlos Rodan last year yeah. you know he had the strong finish um you know, that was going to be kind of like his springboard to greatness but then just to double check in, and you know i've written his age quite a few times but writing last night is like just the one to double check he's still 23 years old you yeah. know so it's unreal he's 23 years old and he's finishing up really almost his second full major league season and this is technically going to be his first full season um but, you know, there's a reason why he was a number three, I believe, overall draft pick a couple of years ago. Um, he's got the uh, the fastball. He's got the, the slider, which he showed last night. And, you know, he's developing a changeup, which is, I think is really going to, you know, put him over the top, make him an, an elite starter. He's He's been showing that more, you know, during this recent stretch he's had. Um, and then, you know, the one thing I've noticed with Rodon in the first half, he talked about it. Coop talked about it. Uh, Robin Ventura talked about it. Is that – yeah you, know, you see him like at at hundred pitches after five innings, yeah yeah you know, that's still gonna be his he's got to get over that hurdle i mean he only went six last night and was over hundred, but he's not like kind of nibbling and picking like he was kind of in the first half and uh you know th- there's no reason why he should' he's, he's got good enough stuff to you know go right after guys and 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 not throw so many pitches so um he's learning that and it takes a it takes a while and like you know like i said he's he's still twenty three and um you know the thing with Rodon that's interesting to me is if the White Sox do what I think they're going to do this off season and move maybe just Chris Sale, but you know you hear talk about you know maybe just Quintana, you hear talk about both of them. Mm-hmm. But if they do even move one of them, you know you're going to have to have somebody to step in because these are you know Sale and Quintana are, are about as good as it gets um, in the American League in major in the major leagues. Um, if you move one of them and you, and you so that's why you know when you see Rodon kind of do this. Um, and maybe he carries, you know, puts a full season together. That's going to make it a lot easier for the White Sox when if they do have to move a Sale or a Quintana to get some younger bats, which I think they really need. Um, you know, that it's like, okay, we still have Carlos Rodon, so yeah. I think, you know,
3: yeah, it's it's a good place to build a rotation yeah. from. You mentioned his ability to, uh, or or his penchant, I guess, for throwing a handful of pitches, throwing a couple extra ones. I, I see that as the next. Massive step in his development, but that's not one that's easily easily reached. You don't just you don't just go okay, I'll pitch to a little more contact and get out of innings a little faster. I mean that's that's a dangerous ride to be on. We've seen it with Chris Sale yes. a little bit through through this season. Right. You know, I think back to that start on a uh, I think it was a Saturday night against the Cleveland Indians. He got absolutely rooked because he was trying to get yep. in the strikes on a little more, didn't have the fine control that that he typically does.
5: Right. Yeah. So that it is tough. I think for now they're just going to tell Rodonio he had, I believe, nine strikeouts last night yeah. in six innings. So it's like that. That's going to build his confidence. You could tell. I mean, he was fired up last night, yeah. especially in the sixth inning. He got yeah, out of that base of jam. So I mean, the fire's there, and it's just really just the matter of experience, like figuring out. There's got to be a better balance. I mean, he doesn't have to strike everybody out. He doesn't have to completely pitch to contact. But I think. You know, he'll – he he just won't waste so many pitches, you know, just nibble. That was the one thing I've – I know I've talked to him about through this season, even last season, that, you know, it's just kind of like a focus that, you know, you just have to just, like, you know, just be focused on every pitch. He just – you know, and it's, it's typical of a young pitcher at this level – that your, your concentration, and that's something that you learn as you go along, and I think that'll help him.
3: What's the next piece of development if from your eyes and from, from guys that you've talked to on the coaching staff and in the front office for, for Tim Anderson's development? I mean, we've talked quite a bit about his ability at the plate, and he is kind of a you know, I hate to use the term hacky, but he does swing quite a bit. Hacky <laughs> is so derogatory, though. I think he's probably a level higher than that. Uh, still, though, Tim has some issues with his game, but he's got a lot of skill, and we've seen it for a long time here.
5: Is he better than you thought he was going to be? Much better. <laughs> Me too. Much better. You know, um, and I kind of pushed like a week or, or two weeks. I wrote something that, you know what, uh, Jimmy Rollins isn't working. Uh, who else are they trying to – you know, maybe Saladino. They kind of slid in there. But it's like, you know, that team was – this team was still kind of in the in the mix mm-hmm. back then in June when they when – the, and it was like I just said, you know what, Tim Anderson just had a great month at Charlotte. Yeah. Just give him a shot, you know. and uh, But I just like, boy, that, that I wrote that, but I was thinking, you know what, can he field the position? Can, you know, he's, is he going to strike out all the time? Um, you know, just is he just going to be overwhelmed? And really, he's, you know, that's why I wanted to ask you just to make sure. But, um, boy, he's been just, I mean, all the multiple hit games I, that yeah. he's had, that it's just, uh, you know, that's that's pretty impressive right there. Um, you know, the, the, the glove, you know, in the second half, I think he, I want to say he's made about 10 errors, and a lot yes. of them are just kind of sloppy. Yeah. You know, which is understandable. This team isn't playing well, so I think you can kind of – like kind of like Rodon, a young guy, just loses his focus.
3: He's made three or four that I've thought are errors where he's just trying – he's trying to do everything.
5: Yeah, right. You
3: know, whether it's turning a double play or, or trying to feed something that's just ridiculous. Right. And that's – I I would rather a rookie make that mistake because it shows me that he he's trying to make up for everybody else's. You yeah. Know, that can be taught out of a guy. Sure. But I want to see that kind of – Mentality in a shortstop.
5: Right. So, you know, he's been, you know, I think that was the big key, uh, you know, for him is with the White Sox, even in spring training, you know. And we, I think, you know, Tim's such a laid back kid that yeah. he doesn't, nothing seems to bother him unless in spring training or, you know, last year at Fest I think they brought him in. And even last year when I ran into him somewhere, it's like the only thing that would ever bother him would be the same question he was hearing is like, when are they going to move you to the outfield? You mm-hmm. can't play shortstop. And he was real adamant that, hey, listen, you know, he doesn't really speak up too much, but that was always the one question that he would just jump right up and say, hey, listen, write it down. I'm a major league shortstop, and he is. I think he is. Yeah. Um, You know, he's going to get better. I think def- he, he'll get even better defensively. I think that's why this, this is a key year for him, so he's not going to just come in cold next year, you know. Um, I think the other thing that we've kind of talked about it too is, uh, you know, how many walks is he going to draw? Yeah. He's getting better on that, but he, you know, he's such an aggressive hitter, so that's something you could kind of teach into, what, like what you were saying. And and then the stolen bases, I think the stolen bases will pick up the more he, um, you know, starts getting on base a little bit more, some walks, anything using that speed, because he's got really, he's got the best speed on the team. So.
3: Oh yeah, uh, he's got ridiculous speed. Yeah. Uh, quickly here before we let you go, are there other than uh, the Robertson Jones arms in the bullpen? You know Robin has had to go to or has gone to you know guys like Jacob Turner guys like Tommy Kainley I'm probably spacing on some names right now but are, are there arms in that bullpen in that kind of mix that you might see maybe making a stride or two here in September and get a run at a at a kind of a high leverage job
5: next year you know I think the one guy that's going to be in a high leverage situation isn't here is uh, Zach birdie sure you yeah. know so but uh you know as far as the guys that are here haven't seen Blake Smith yet they brought him up. Um, haven't seen a whole lot from some of those other guys. I mean, you know, Dan Jennings is a veteran guy. He's sure. done he's done a good job. Yeah, yes. He, he could probably like take the take the uh, Zach Duke role, you know. Maybe he could pitch a seventh or eighth. He's been doing it. Um but boy, keep an eye on Zach Birdie. You know, I think he's the guy and you know, all the other guys maybe are kind of vying for you know, kind of a middle job, depending on what happens with Zach Putnam, with uh, Jake Petricka being, you know, kind of coming back from injuries. Right, so, right, right. Yeah. Scott, appreciate you hopping on. As always, good to talk to you. Great talking to you, Connor. Absolutely. Scott
3: Greger, the Daily Herald. Follow him on Twitter, at Scott Greger, 1T, uh, two Gs in the last name. Three one two five nine one eighty nine hundred is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. We get back, we'll get you the week that was in White Sox baseball, and we are uh, rushing it up to the White Sox pregame show at 535, Sox and Royals. Game two here at U.S. Cellular Field. I'm Connor McKnight. You've got White Sox Weekly on WLSAM 890. We are closing it up here on White Sox Weekly this afternoon. Kind of flew by on us. We have done a ton on the show, and we've got the White Sox pregame show starting in about 15 minutes or so. 535 is when we'll kick things off there. Sox and Royals coming up this evening, a chance to take two in a row, well, four straight from the AL Division teams, uh, AL Central Division teams, and uh, two in a row from both the Tigers and the Royals. We got the full lineup for the Royals and hadn't given that to you yet, so we will now. We gave you that White Sox lineup. It's uh, it's the same as last night. It's that what has become a, a pretty standard lineup for Robin Ventura, kind of the regulars out there, Eaton, Anderson, Cabrera. Um, Abreu, Mordo, Frazier, Garcia, Narvaez, and Saladino Eaton, of course, in center field. That's really the only position that that you might wonder. Okay, make sure he's got that right. Uh, Jared Dyson is in center and leading off for the Royals today. Whit Merrifield plays second base. Eric Cosmer at first, of course. Kendris Morales, DHs. Salvador Perez back in the lineup. He's been out since Tuesday uh, in the lineup and playing and catching for the Royals. Alex Gordon in left. Paolo Orlando in right. Alcides Escobar is at short, and uh, Christian Colon is going to play the third base for the Royals this evening. Uh, we do it every single White Sox Weekly. What well, we'll get to it in a second. I'm going to tease it, and then we're going to tell you something, and then we'll get back to it. If you've ever wondered what it's like to work for a professional sports organization, you can join us for Behind the Scenes with the Sox. It's a networking event that will be held Tuesday, September 13th at U.S. Cellular Field, it's brought to you by White Sox Charities and the Young Professionals Council. I met a few of those guys, in uh, guys and girls in that Young Professionals Council. Pretty good guys. You know what they're doing. Tickets include a networking panel, a game ticket, as well as food and beverages. Visit whitesox.com slash networking for more details. Time for the week in review. We do it every single White Sox weekly. We bring back some of the highlights of the week that was in White Sox baseball. 1-1
2: one, one to Abreu. swinging along. One to left. This is going to go for a homer. Soxley 3-0 here in the first inning. Games are won in the last three innings. They're also given away in the ninth. That pitch is swinging along. One to left. It's gonna go for a three run homer. He's got a second three run homer of the game, and the Sox indeed are within a run at 9 8. White Sox leading to 13 11. The pitch, Eddie Rosario, a comebacker, hit the pitcher up with a Frazier to throw the first. Sox win! Sox win! The O2 swing and a high fly ball to the left. This is it well. Going back, Cabrera, at the bullpen. The leap's at the bullpen. he makes the catch. They took away a home run from Cameron Mabin. The pitch to Alex is swinging a high fly ball deep left center field. The wind's got this one. He ties it up with a solo home run leading off the seventh. Three to two. One ball, two strikes. Jones reading signs. He's bent over at the waist. Now he straightens. Works from the first base side of the pitching rubber and the pitch. Struck him out swinging if they call it. They did call it. He's out on strikes. In the hole between short and third. And a throw across. Got him. Play of the game right there. Anderson, I didn't think he had a chance. He gloved it. Jumped and Threw him out. Pitting room right side of the infield as Kinsler plays towards the middle of the diamond from second. Bouncing ball up the middle. Base hit. Chuck around third. He's going to score on Garcia's single. Sox get two here in the eighth. It'll lead five to four. A look at second at the one-two to Collins. Check swing, did he go? Yeah, he's out on strike. Sox win. Sox win. Robertson with the save. His 35th. Oh, what a game today at U.S. Cellular. Sox looking
3: for more Ws and more chances for Ed Farmer to make those final calls. Uh, David Robertson and Nate Jones both got the night off last night. Uh, Though Jones did get up in the bullpen, but the White Sox offense was able to tack on a couple of runs and Chris Beck and Dan Jennings and Tommy Canley were entrusted with the work out of the pen. So nice to get back to back days off for Robertson and Jones. You would figure that they're both available in a tight game this evening against the Royals. Uh, Family Sundays are presented by Coca Cola at U.S. Cellular Field. They feature tickets as low as $5 in the lower level and $15. In the, uh, in the lower, sorry, $5 in the upper level, $15 in the lower level. Something wasn't making sense there. Special kid-focused activities throughout the ballpark all day long, plus parking's available for only $10. Visit whitesox.com slash Sundays to purchase your tickets today. That is going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. We appreciate you tuning in and texting and calling and listening. Big day for guests on the show, too. So uh, we got some thank yous to pass out there. Thanks to Sheena Quinn, the director of public relations here for the White Sox. Thanks to David Hunt of Hunt Auctions. Get yourself out to that auction on the 17th here at the ballpark. Thanks to Scott Greger of the Daily Herald, too. He stopped by the booth and we talked a little White Sox with him. That does it for us. Uh, Thanks to Justin Basic and Don Kleppen. For their work back at WLS studios on the broadcast this afternoon. Keep it here. Don't change the channel. More White Sox baseball is coming up. The pregame show starts in about eight minutes here on WLS AM 890.